Second Peter, we're continuing there, and we will uh, we'll look at some scriptures next week specifically concerning our Lord's birth. But let's continue as we study through Second Peter, and we'll begin in verse 4, picking up where we left off, verses 1 through 3. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if You see this if, this conditional phrase, it's an argument that is from the lesser to the greater. If the lesser is true, then certainly the greater must be true. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. And then parenthetically, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, Lot in Sodom, He was tormented, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. If the Lord delivered him, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Let's pray. Now, Lord, this is your word. It's your word to us today. It's not coincidental that we're here at this time, Lord. You have something to say to us, and you have something to say to us specifically and personally. And Lord, I pray that it would not be uh, a man that speaks. Lord, I pray it would be you, our creator, the one who breathed the breath of life into us. You gave us a soul that has an opportunity to respond to you, our creator. Lord, we're not like the beast of the field, the, the, the animals who do not know, Lord, you have put the imprint of your own image into our heart, into our soul. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us that very deepest level, creator to created, God to men, to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for loving us and for rescuing us through Christ our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you want to have a companion passage to our passage this morning, then I encourage you to read Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 begins the Psalms by contrasting the righteous person and how blessed they are to know the Lord, to follow the Lord, to love the Lord, and then the ungodly who have no room for God in their life. It makes no difference to them that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that He came to bring joy. It, it, it matters not to their life. Their life is not affected because they have no room for the Lord Jesus. They have no room for any knowledge of God in their life. If they give any assent to God, it is, it is limited at best. They do not want Him to be Lord of their life, master of their life. They do not want to bow down to Him. And so Psalm 1 contrasts the righteous with the ungodly. This passage that you and I just read, the whole passage hangs on two words. 
everything is draped or hung over two words in this passage. The first one is one word in the Greek. It is spared not. Or if you prefer, not spared. The other word that is used again and again is the word delivered or rescued. And so you'll see those words, not spared, in verses 4 and 5. And then you'll see the word delivered or rescued, depending on what translation that you have, in verses 7 and 9. All that is in this passage focuses around these two words. And they're completely opposite. The Lord doesn't desire for anyone to perish, but that all may come to repentance. But the truth is, there are those who do not receive the Lord's grace. They do not receive the Lord's rescue, His deliverance, and His help. And they are not spared. The mercy of God is from generation to generation. But there are many who refuse the mercy of God because they do not want the Lordship of God, His authority, His good, righteous, beneficial authority over their lives. They want to be a God unto themselves, an authority unto themselves. They want to rule and control their own lives so they shut out the grace of God and therefore they push away His mercy. And they are spared not. There are three other places in Scripture that this particular word is used. Spared not. The first one is found in Acts chapter 20. And it is relevant to the whole message that Second Peter is communicating to the first century believers and also to us in the 21st century. In Acts chapter 20, And in verse 29, Paul is warning the Ephesian believers about the danger that can can come to the church there in Ephesus. And he's warning the spiritual leaders, he said, after I leave, he said, there will be others who will come in that will present a clear and present spiritual danger to you. They'll come in and they will present themselves as believers, but their intent is to divide and to destroy. And he uses a very specific word. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 29, he says, For I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so he uses this same word that Peter did, not sparing. That is, there's no mercy. The enemy has no mercy. He has no capacity for mercy. Jesus said that our enemy, he comes and his sole intent and desire, his sole focus, his constant thought is seeking whom he may devour. He has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. The contrast could not be more profound, more real. In Romans 11, 21 and 22, Paul gives a, a warning to the Gentiles of Rome, to the believers there who had trusted the Lord and some of the some of the, the the ones whom he was speaking to had not yet trusted the Lord. And Paul was using the argument, if God judged the Jewish people, his own covenant people that he had made an everlasting covenant with, do you not think that he will judge 
those outside of the covenant. And he uses this word again as a warning that he spared not the branches that were cut off and that were given over to the fire of judgment. So he uses that word again. But I love Romans where this word is used again. Romans 8. Turn there with me if you would for just a moment. Romans 8. And I think you'll remember this verse. It'll be familiar to you. Romans 8.32. Let's just begin a a verse ahead. Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? Things that are against us. Things that that harm us. Things that are uh, constantly waging uh, war against us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then verse 32. He who did not spare, and there's our word, God didn't spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And all that we receive from the Lord is always in response and out of the heart of God the heart of His grace. There are four terms used to describe the word not spared. And we find them in our passage in 2 Peter. The first one that we see is the word send in verse 4. The word send that is used there is a very common New Testament word, as you might imagine, which means to miss the mark. It means to fall short. It's the same word that's used in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The high bar of the standard of God's holiness. All of us have fallen short of that. Christ, the only one who lived the sinless life, who did not fall short, was not born into sin as we are, born of the Virgin Mary, lived the sinless life, died the death of a sinner, the death of a criminal, took upon Himself our sins, your sins, my sins, bore our sins, was the substitute for us, and paid the price that we could not pay. All of us have sinned. We've fallen short. The Lord has not. He is the one rescuer, the one savior. The second word that's used in verses 5 and 6, and you see it repeated there, is the word ungodly. The word ungodly. It means living our lives devoid of God, apart from God. It, It means living as if God didn't. And there are so many people that live their lives as if God did not exist. As if He did not live. The word uh, also is pointed to in verse 8 where it says they're, they're unlawful deeds. They're living in a way that is completely apart from God's in, uh, intentions, His good intentions, His gracious intentions for us. God created us. He is so much better for us than, than what we experience in this sin-cursed world. Even believers suffer under the weight and curse of sin that still exists, it still influences our daily life. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Even for those upon whom God has shown His favor, buildings fall down sometimes. That's a part of living in a sin-cursed world. Bones break. 
We, we bleed. We hurt. We, our muscles get sore. We're growing older. Our marriages are difficult. Our jobs are difficult. We get sick, sometimes sick unto death. But the Lord is gracious. He's delivered us from the ultimate consequence of sin, and that is death. He has given us life, life eternal. Though our bodies will will one day die, our spirits can never die. Our souls can never die. And the Lord will raise up a new body. And the Bible promises us that that he who gives, uh, the Lord who gives life to us, it is life eternal and they shall never perish. Do you believe this? That's the heart of the gospel. It's a message of joy. It's a message of life. It's a message of rescue, of breaking free from the consequences of sin, from the curse that we struggle under, that we labor under all of our lives. We live under this weight of sin, but Christ has set us free. It begins when we're born again and we realize that that weight and debt of sin is no longer there. There's this freedom, the sin that the chains are broken spiritually, that the debt has been canceled that was against us. The Lord paid that debt. Although we still struggle, that debt has been paid and it ensures and is the down payment that it will ultimately bring our eternal freedom. We'll be set free just like a bird from a cage one day from all of the curse and all the consequence of the curse. But the ungodly, It's not so. Jude chapter 14, let me read this to you, echoes these words when he speaks of these who have rejected God and and they're living as if God did not exist. God has no place at all in their lives. Jude in verse 14 says, Behold, the Lord came with 10,000 of His holy ones, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism only to gain an advantage. And the Word of God calls them ungodly. Psalm 1-6 says, The way of the ungodly shall perish. But the good news is, Paul said in Romans 5-6, Christ died for the ungodly. That was you and I before we came to Christ. Our lives were without God. We were without hope in this world. We did not have a rescuer that... We did not know that He had come to deliver us. Or if we did, we pushed it aside. We kept Him at arm's length. But Christ died for the ungodly. And Paul said in Romans 4, 5, He justifies the ungodly. He saves the ungodly. Can anyone say amen to that? And we look at people and we say, well, they're just living life without God. That was you and I before Christ. Never can we look down upon anyone or never can we look at someone in judgment that is hypocritical and sinful and wrong as believers because we... We're the ungodly outside of Christ at one time. But He has accepted us in the Beloved. The righteous Christ for the ungodly, us. That great exchange was made at the cross. The third word that He uses to describe those not spared. By the way, if you're outside of Christ this morning, 
You're under one of these two categories right now. The not spared are the delivered. You can rejoice in what we read if you're a part of the delivered group. But you need to take serious stock and evaluation of your spiritual condition before God if you're a part of that not spared group. Sinned, ungodly. The third word is the word wicked. We see that in verse 7 there of Second Peter. Wicked. The word means lawless. It means living in flagrant disregard of God's laws. Filthy living. Living as if there were no righteousness. There, 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 there was no holy God in heaven that we are living before and that is seeing our lives. It, it, it's, it's living in the darkness thinking that no one knows our dark deeds. Living as if there would never be a time of judgment or accountability. So many people live out from under authority. They, they, they just flagrantly flaunt any laws of morality or ethics or any standards of common decency. We see that more and more. And some of us, when we see that, we just shake our head and we just say, how, how can people live that way? How can they do that? Well, that's a characteristic of those outside of grace, those who do not have a relationship with God. Let me give you, just for time's sake, a passage that I encourage you to read that, that talks about those who, who have just no reference point in their life of God's holiness. They, they, they live in such a, a wicked way because they, they are so estranged from God. They have drifted so far apart from God, He's not in their conscience anymore. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-11, through 11, I encourage you to pick that up and read it at a later point. And the last word, under those spared not, is the word that is unjust. We might say just simply this, unsaved. The Bible says it's a term that's used over and over again, just and unjust. Justified is also uh, a root of that word or a part of that same grouping of words. In verse 9 it says, unjust. One interesting point, and I want you to, uh, I want you to look there in Second Peter, where it says that uh, Lot was was vexed. This just Lot uses the word just and uses the word righteous, but those who were who were not of the godly were unjust, and it says their unlawful deeds was an assault against his consciousness of God daily. Now, and then it goes on to say, and we know by reference that, that he lived where? In Sodom. You can read this in Genesis 13, Genesis 19. And we know what the Bible is referencing there as what was taking place in Sodom. And we're aware of what's taking place around us. And we need to have compassion and love and care for those who are caught in the bonds of iniquity, for those who are hurting under their, under their own self-delusions, under lies that they have heard and believed, under lies of the enemy, of the deceiver, we need to have great compassion. And we need to live a life, a life of, of, of joy. We need to live a life that shows the peace of God and the humility of Christ and the tenderness of our God that will point people to the gospel that are caught in the cords 
and in the bonds of this kind of iniquity. But Lot was vexed day by day by their unlawful deeds. Now, what's interesting about that is the law of Moses that condemned homosexuality had not yet been given. It was certainly not against the laws, the civic laws of Sodom. They were completely given over. What laws were spoken of that were unlawful, their deeds of wickedness, their sensual just abandon, given to every kind of wickedness? It was the laws of the Creator, the laws of God that Romans 1 says were written in the hearts of every man. Whether they, whether they agree with the law of God, deep in the heart they know it. The conscience can be seared over where they reject it for so long, it's no longer giving a warning signal to them from their heart. But it is in, it is written in the spiritual DNA of every one who is created in God's image. Their unlawful deeds. The word unjust there, Paul gives this word in his defense before Felix in Acts 24, verses 14 and 15. It is the final verdict and the eternal end of unbelievers, Revelation 22:11. Let those who are unjust remain unjust forever. But those who are just, those who are righteous, they will remain righteous forever. Christ alone is the only one who justifies. He is the one who has provided the payment for the unjust. And in 1 Peter 3.18, let me read this for you quickly. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous or the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He can bring us out of this unjustified, unsaved condition, and He's the only one that can. The second word, quickly, is the word delivered. And we see that again in uh, verses 7 and 9, or rescued. In Luke one seventy four, in the Christmas uh, uh, story, we see that Jesus is, is promised the one who will be the deliverer. Savior, Rescuer. And we sing about Him. And many of the Christmas songs sing about the Lord Jesus, who Jesus means to deliver or to save or to rescue. And it's kind of a double. He is our saving Rescuer, Jesus the Savior. He is our Rescuer who saves. Any way that you want to put it. He is the only one who can rescue us and redeem us from our sins. He is named the Savior in Luke 2.11. He is declared to be the Deliverer in Romans 11.26. And you know those who He delivers? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 9-10 through 10, that all of us were under the sentence of death until He delivered us from that death sentence. Mike, I don't know. Y'all don't have a death row there at uh, the Washita unit, do you? Death row is at uh, Varner, Cummins, south of Pine Bluff. Have you ever been there, Mike, to death row? You're probably one of the few or one of the only ones here that has. I, I cannot imagine what it would be like to have the rest of your days consigned to death row, waiting 
on your execution. And we know that the law is very, very slow. And uh, we know all of the, the arguments, and some of you may fall at different places on capital punishment. I'm not here to discuss that. But you think about for a moment the unthinkable that we just can't imagine what it would be like to be on death row. They're living, but that's not a life. I cannot imagine what kind of life it is waiting on death. That is exactly what the Word of God describes for all of those who have yet to be set free and delivered by our Rescuer. They are under the sentence of death. They are on death row right now. You and I have family that are on death row. You and I have friends. We have co-workers. We have people that we care about. Good people. Sweet people. Kind people. Who have not been rescued. They've not been delivered. They think that they're good on their own. They think that somehow they're going to rescue themselves. Somehow that they're going to be able to stand before God on their own merit, on their own goodness, on their own kindness, and that's going to be enough. But what they've done is in effect they've pushed aside Christ and they've said, you're not good enough. What you did is not good enough for me. I don't accept that. And so they have to stand on their own two feet and they will fall by that tragic decision and they will not be spared because they have refused to be rescued and they remain under that sentence of death but the Bible says that you and I have been delivered from that sentence of death those of us who have been rescued I know that that a lot of times we we have no context for that that's why we grumble at times as believers that's why we get discouraged that that's why our uh, and that's why we we gripe and complain because we forget what it's like to be on death row. We we forget how great a salvation has been provided for us. In some sense, at times we even think that in some way we've deserved this grace that God has given us in salvation. We, after all, are, are some of the good people that God rescued and that's why God rescued us. Nothing could be further from the truth. All of us ought to live, and I'm speaking to myself as well, with the sense that, and I can't imagine what it would be like, for a wicked, ungodly sinner, criminal, who is deserving of death and had been waiting on death row, and suddenly and dramatically and unexpectedly, his death sentence was commuted. And we walk out into the light free, never to be able to be charged again for that crime that had hung over our heads. What do you think that guy would be like that would experience that kind of freedom from death? Woo! I don't know. I just kind of wanted to wake you up a little bit there. I know we're getting a little sleepy. I mean, they would be excited. I, 
I'm too tired to do any kind of a jig or a dance, and it's a Baptist church, so we don't do that anyway. But I imagine that he would be skipping, that he would be so excited, that it would be unbelievable. And I imagine every day that he woke up, he would say, I know where I used to be. I know where I live. Hopeless and dark. No way that I could ever get out. But I am out. I am free. This is a great day. Even though I have no job, even though I have no money, I'm eating spam and crackers. This is great! Whatever happened to him, it would be so much more wonderful than what he had experienced living under the sentence of death. That's where we are as believers, but in even a much greater way. We were under the eternal death sentence, but we have been set free. All who are on this side of grace are on death row but those who are in grace have been set free. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul says that He has delivered us from the mouth of the lion. Someone told me last night of a video that they saw of a, of a donkey, since we had some donkeys out at, the, uh, out at Bethlehem. And... Uh, they said, have you seen that video? Who is telling me this? The mule. Oh, the mule, the mule. Okay. Okay, Johnny said, uh, he was telling me, and uh, Ethan showed him, and you can look it up. Johnny was telling me about a video that shows a mule that had killed a mountain lion. And uh, now, I don't swear to everything that's on YouTube and on videos, so you check with Ethan. If it's not uh, accurate, well, he's the one that showed it. <laughs> is it accurate? I don't know. I think mules are pretty tough. But anyway, supposedly this mule killed the mountain lion and the mule is standing there. I haven't seen it, but Johnny said the mule is standing there with the mountain lion in his mouth, the dead mountain lion in his mouth, just standing there like, I got you. That would be quite a scene, wouldn't it? The Lord has delivered us from the mouth of the lion. The serpent's head has been crushed as we... As I was walking towards Rita's room this morning on the third floor, some of you have seen that at St. Vincent. It, it's, it's a misinterpretation of Scripture. It shows Mary standing on a serpent. Now, Jesus is the one that crushes the serpent's head. So we'll give, we'll give grace, but we want to be also biblically appropriate, those of us who know. And I've been there before, and I've seen that before, as many of you, but something had happened on that statue. The serpent's head was broken, was broken off, was crushed. You can only see one eye, and the rest of its head was broken off. That is what has taken place for you and I. The Lord Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. He has rescued us. He has delivered us from the mouth of the lion. There are three terms, very, very quickly, I'm just going to give them to you, your time is gone, that describes those who are delivered. The first one is given in verse 5, it is the word righteousness, and then the word righteous is mentioned twice in verse 8. This is declarative, we are declared righteous, we are not righteous, we are sinners, we are criminals against the holy law of God, but we have been declared righteous, that means pronounced innocent of all crimes and transgressions that were against us. And deservedly so. The second word that's used, the second term 
under those who are delivered is the word just. That is the word verse 7. It's interesting to me, and I don't have time this morning to go in. Lot is used as an example here, and there's a lot we could say about that. This is the word, and it it is referencing a positional place. Righteousness is declarative. God declares us righteous, but the word just is we now have relationship with holy God as if we had never sinned. It's not only our sins have been covered, have been paid for by the Lord Jesus, but we are justified. We have a relationship with our God, holy God, in the very same way as if we had never sinned and been separated from Him. Acts 7 52 says that Jesus is the only just one. He is the justifier of the just, you and I, if we're in Christ. But He is the only just one. We have no right of access to God because of our sin. Our sin. But Christ is the one that justifies us. He also... When Ananias was speaking to Paul and telling him that he would speak to the Gentiles about salvation, Ananias in Acts chapter 22 and verse 14 uses this term, the just one. The Bible says in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38, and it's repeating the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. Another way to, to read that and understand that is, The justified ones, those who are delivered, rescued. The justified ones live by trusting God alone for salvation. Is that how you live your life? Is that your heart? You're justified in Christ. The last term is this, the godly. The godly under those who are delivered. Probably none of us would call ourselves godly, would consider ourselves godly. We certainly probably wouldn't tag, hashtag lot, godly man. But the word godly means that we live our lives knowing that we live our lives before God. We're accountable to Him. We live our lives with a God consciousness For us, I think it means a God-centered life, a Godward life. Psalm 4.3 says, The Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. Psalm 32.6 says, Everyone that is godly shall pray. That's a mark of being a person that has a God-centered life. We pray. We, We have an awareness of our God, and we have a relationship with Him. 2 Corinthians 1.12 says, In simplicity and godly sincerity, by the grace of God, we live our lives in this world. It's a simple life. Love God. Love others. Hear what He says. Follow what He says. It's a simple life. In sincerity. In genuineness. In authenticity. Live our lives serving God and serving others. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10 talks about the godly will have godly sorrow over their sin, which produces repentance. That's a mark of the godly. Have you ever been sorry for your sin against God? A godly sorrow. There's a sorrow which is just sorrowful because it got caught and sorry for the consequences. That's not godly sorrow. If you're a child of God, you've experienced godly sorrow over your sin. 
and it's led you to repentance. Titus 2.12 says that the godly, they, they live a life of denial in this sense, as opposed to indulgence. Titus says we should live seriously, a life that's pleasing to God, godly in this present world. In other words, those who are godly, there are certain things we deny ourselves of. That we could excuse or argue that it's alright, but, but we don't indulge ourselves. This world is not what we're living for. This world is not what life is all about. That's what it means to be godly or to have a, a God awareness as we live our life. There, there's, there, there are so many more things that are more important than the things of the world. And so what are more important than the things of the world? The things that we believe are most important to God. That's how the godly live. That's how the godly view the world and live their life. Hebrews 12.28 says that God gives us, those who have surrendered to Him, we receive the grace to serve. We receive the grace to serve. God's pleasure, God's bidding, with awe and godly fear. A reverence for God. What a privilege it is. What an honor it is to live for the Lord. To serve the Lord. To serve others in the name of Christ. To honor our King. Not for any uh, adulation or any praise that anybody might wrongly try to give us. But to point anything and everything to Him. To live with that kind of sense of God. If you live this way, Paul told Timothy, he said, all those who live godly in this life will suffer persecution. Not everybody's going to like that you're a believer trying to follow God. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to say you're a holier than thou. They're going to say that, that you think you're better than others. They're, they're not going to understand because the Bible says they're spiritually blind. They, they don't understand. They're a part of those who are not spared. They're in that category. We need to pray that God would have mercy upon them. They would show, they would understand that He has through the cross and through Christ, mercy has been given to them. How do you live a godly life? How do you do that? You can't do it on your own because none of us, none of us have that strength. The Bible says though in 2 Peter 1, 3 that God has given us everything at all times that will provide for us everything we need for our present life in this sinful world, parenthetically, and everything we need to live in a godly way. Do you believe that? There's no excuse for, for any of us not to live in a godly way, in a God-centered way, to the, to the least of us, to the one who thinks, I, I'm just, I'm the worst Christian ever. You know what? You're in pretty good company. Paul said that. He said, I'm the chief among sinners. He said, I don't feel like much of a Christian. I don't feel very strong in the Lord. If you have been justified, if you have been delivered, if you have been saved, if you're in the grace of God, if you've received the mercy of God, God will give you everything that you need every moment of every day to live in a God-honoring, God-pleasing way. Do you believe that? I believe that. Do I always live up to that? I do not. That's where godly sorrow that leads to repentance comes in. But God is so gracious. The just for the unjust. The one who is merciful, showing mercy to those who desperately need that mercy. That's you and me. Amen.
Let's pray. Oh Lord, all of us as we bow before You at this moment, Lord, all of us owe more than we can imagine or think to Your grace and mercy for rescuing us. Lord, we were in darkness. We were ungodly, wicked, lawless sinners. You have rescued us from ourselves and from our sins that were dragging us to hell, to to condemnation that was just because of our sins. Our offense to You as a holy God, our Creator, the One who loves us, the One who gave His own Son, did not spare Him, but gave Him up for us all. Lord, thank You for what You have done. Oh Lord, I pray that You would help us to have an understanding through reading Your Word and hearing Your Word today of how grateful and joyful we have every opportunity to be and and, and Lord should be because we've been set free from death row. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You have come, our Savior, to rescue us. Lord, if there's someone here who has never trusted You, never trusted Your mercy, Your saving grace, Your righteousness for us, for our unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that even in their heart right now that they might just say, maybe as simply as this, God, be merciful to me. Help me to know You. Save me. Lord, it can be so simple. But Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts, draw hearts to you as only you can. And we ask this in your son's precious, rescuing, delivering name, the name above every name, Jesus, the Savior. Amen.